Well, uh, good to be home. Uh, as wonderful as God's creation is and God's world is, uh, there's no bed like your own bed, and uh, there's no church like your home church. So wonderful, wonderful to be here. Hard to wrap my head around the reality that I only have, Pastor Don and I only have five weeks uh, longer to serve as your lead pastors. You know, when you're making these decisions, and, and of course I knew this day would come when I came here 22 years ago, uh, but when you make the decision and you begin to talk about it three years, it seems like that's a long ways away when, you announced, when we announced it a year ago, January, that seemed like forever, and it's not forever anymore. My goodness. Um, but we thought and we prayed and we believe this is God's time for us and this is God's time for this great, great church. So I've been thinking a lot about the best way uh, to use the five weeks that are ahead of us. And I've landed on the subject five smooth stones. Five smooth stones, and I'm gonna speak about a stone every single weekend. But before I do that, uh, no commentary, nothing really exciting here, but uh, I stood at this corner almost every day for the last four weeks, and I don't know if I got more scared or amazed every week, every day as I stood there, but uh, Mexican stop sign, uh, watch it. This guy should watch it, I think. <laughs> Be very, very careful. But uh, I, I showed that because it's a wee bit amusing, but I, I showed it because I think sometimes in church life we just get in a really, really big rush. We're always in a hurry, and we don't stop and really think about things. And I want us over the next five weeks to stop and think. <laughs> and I particularly want us to stop and think about uh, the major things that God has uh, probably taken our church on a journey to learn over the last 22 years. Um, and let's not be in a hurry, and let's not think, well, I've heard that before, so I don't need to think about it. Let's park in our hearts this week and think about this message throughout the week. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse number four. One of the most familiar stories in all of scripture, particularly if you're old enough to remember Sunday school days. Uh, there came from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, 
whose height was six cubits, cubits and a span. So there's this huge guy, uh, a Philistine, actually had six fingers on each hand and six toes, whose height was six cubits and a span. Now, how big is six cubits? Well, a cubit is the measurement from uh, the center of your, next slide, the center of your elbow uh, down to the end of your middle finger. So cubit is from here to here. Now I think in my body, I'm about four cubits tall. That's kind of how I see my body. Maybe you see it otherwise, but, and he's even a little bigger than that. It's a cubit and six cubits and a span. So the span, span is from, uh, pinky finger to uh, thumb. I don't know if it's like that or it's like that, but he's six cubits and a span. This is a big, big guy. Next verse, working our way down the chapter, uh, verse number 16. For 40 days, this big guy, six cubits and a span tall, would stand across the valley morning and evening, and what he would do when he's standing there is he would taunt the people of Israel and say, <laughs> aren't you guys going to come fight us? Aren't you guys going to come? Come on, isn't your God strong enough to help you? What's wrong with you guys? He would taunt them morning and evening for 40 days. A little guy named David would been, had been sent by his dad to go uh, see his brothers who were in the army and probably should have been fighting Goliath. And he, so he brought them some food to eat while they're there and uh, listened to Goliath day after day, taunt the nation of Israel and uh, say, aren't you gonna, aren't you gonna fight? Come on, <laughs> kind of guys are you? What kind of wimps are you? And everybody was afraid of him, he was huge. Nobody would took up the challenge. And David said, enough of this, I'll do it. And we read this in verse number 40. He took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. He was gonna use these five smooth stones put in his slingshot and uh, kill Goliath. All kinds of ideas about why David chose five smooth stones. A lot of commentaries have said the reason he chose five smooth stones is so he could kill Goliath and then he could kill Goliath's four brothers. I've heard preachers preach that. The challenge with that, unless I've missed it, and that is possible, uh, I haven't seen anywhere in the Bible that says Goliath had four brothers. Great theory, but I think it's a theory. Others said uh, he picked up five smooth stones because he thought he might miss on the first shot and the second shot and the third shot. That makes a little bit of sense to me, but he was pretty good with the slingshot. 
Another group of commentators says the significance of the five smooth stones that David picked up and put in his pouch is he was actually making a statement to the nation of Israel. And the statement he was making to the nation of Israel centered around their spiritual convictions. The only Bible the nation of Israel had at this point was what was called the Pentateuch. Pentateuch has how many books in it? Five books. Commentators suggest that he took the five stones to remind Israel that their confidence was in, in the God of Israel as revealed in those five books. Which is right, I don't know. Uh, I don't even know if it matters. But I'm gonna share five stones. <laughs> five about five smooth stones and I'm really gonna share truths from God's word over the next five weekends. I hope uh, when you think about Pastor Donna and I five years from now and 10 years from now and 15 years from now, if you still remember us, that you will uh, remember, I hope, that we taught you God's word that we worked hard at preaching God's word. And, and I haven't done that alone. Uh, Donna, every Tuesday morning, uh, summer of course being an exception, leads a ladies Bible study in that corner and she teaches God's word and does a really good job. And then when uh, COVID came, uh, we knew we needed to continue to be in God's word and we started a little thing called Strength for the Day and uh, we have 500 plus followers now who listen to us sitting in front of a camera talking about God's word and some of them have found this to be really important in our lives that we find ourselves on holidays sitting in front of the camera and making sure they're still getting the word. We have been committed, we've been committed to preaching the word and sharing God's word. So back in 2002, I started uh, ministry here after teaching on the Lord's Prayer by preaching through the book of Ephesians. And so I'm gonna take you to Ephesians chapter three and verse two and I'm reading out of the King James Version because back then I preached out of the King James Version and then all you people started saying, get with it, Pastor John. Nobody preaches from the King James Version anymore. So I got really modern and started preaching from the New American Standard Bible. And then my New American Standard Bibles fell apart and I went to parables to find a new one and I couldn't find one the right size so I bought the English Standard Version in a little bigger size than I wanted and I've been preaching out of English Standard since. But King James Version. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given to me to you, Ward. 
if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God. The dispensation of the grace of God is the first smooth stone I want to talk to you about. The dispensation of the grace of God. The English Standard Version uh, makes it read like this. The stewardship of the grace of God. Contemporary English Bible, the responsibility to distribute the grace of God. New American Standard, the administration of the grace of God. Uh, in my sermon prep and studying, I spend, uh, I'd say almost every week, I visit the outline of biblical usage uh, by Larry Pierce, who defines how, how these words are used the most in scripture. And this is what uh, Larry Pierce says in the outline of biblical usage. One more click there, please. Uh, this Greek word, oikonomia, uh, means the management of a household or a household affairs. The management of a household or of household affairs. I want to make it uh, abundantly clear to us as a church family tonight. that the way the church is supposed to be managed is with big piles of grace. The way the church is supposed to be managed is with big piles of grace. We are meant to be dispensers of, of grace. Moses was responsible for the Torah. Paul was the one who, when the church was born, God said, uh, I'm going to give you a revelation of the grace of God, and you make sure it's dispensed in the church, that the church understands it. We are meant to be dispensers of grace. Grace is a big word. English Standard Version, it's in, in the English Standard Version 124 times. Romans chapter 11, 5 and 6, and I'm just going to take a couple of verses and, and show you how it's used. So to at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. For if it is by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. <laughs> Friends, we do not work. We do not work harder and harder and harder to get better and better and better so God will smile upon us. This thing being a Christ, called being a Christian is based on the grace of God. It is not what we do or how we do it, the level of excellence we attain. We are part of something that is rooted and grounded in the grace of God. And we gotta make sure we never ever forget that. Uh, 
simply and probably most commonly, grace is defined as uh, undeserved favor. Friends, any blessing that rests upon our lives, any rest blessing that rests upon my life, any blessing that rests upon your life is not because you have impressed God with your, with your behavior and your sinlessness and your goodness. His blessing is a result of the undeserved favor of God the undeserved favor, that's the gospel. Gospel in a nutshell, 2 Corinthians chapter nine and verse eight, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Huh. I, I throw that verse in because I think sometimes we've got so stuck on defining grace as undeserved favor that we don't recognize it's really something uh, deeper and richer than that. It's more than God's inclination to treat us better than we deserve. It is more then God's inclination treated us better than we deserve. Another click there, please, Jackson. It is God's character producing real, practical, delightful, good outcomes in people's lives. It's God manifesting his character to us and producing delightful outcomes in our lives. Of course, outcomes we do not deserve, but the grace of God rests upon us. And the church, my friends, is supposed to be a place that just specializes in dispensing grace because that's at the very heart and character of God. So the first tire I made when I came here was a, uh, a young pastor named Jason Shepard. Never quite let a guy like Jason in my life or since, but uh, loved him, still love him, and appreciate him deeply. And one of the first things he did when he got here is he ordered a Coca-Cola vending machine. And I showed up at church one morning and there was a Coca-Cola vending machine in the church entrance. I said, Jason, what have you done? I said, well, I ordered it. They said they'd put it in here. It's free, Pastor. I says, well, that's good, but I'm a Pepsi man. <laughs> A week later, on the entrance, we had a Pepsi vending machine and a Coca-Cola vending machine. Young people would come into the church think this is the most exciting church in Saskatoon. They got vending machines. What churches have vending machines? You ever been sent down the hotel hallway by your spouse at about 10 o'clock at night because she just needed 
something to drink. And you do the walk. And they want a toonie, so you put your toonie in there and you push the ginger ale button. You push the ginger ale button. And you push, 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 push the ginger ale, and no ginger ale is coming out. You're a Christian, but you feel like kicking it. And you're mad at the machine. Why are you mad at the machine? Because it's supposed to dispense, in this case, ginger ale, and it's not dispensing it. One of the biggest problems the Church of Jesus Christ has had is we are supposed to be beautiful people who over and over and over again make it our first response to dispense grace. And they come in here, people come in here with their hurts and their needs and their failures and their stupidity. And instead of getting grace, they get judgment. The church of Jesus Christ must be marked by a clear clear understanding that we are people of grace. The church I grew up in wasn't always gracious. The church I grew up in had a lot of rules that made sense to me when I was 10 and 12 and even 14, but at some point in my adult life, I looked at them and said, these are stupid. We haven't. We haven't been as good as we should be at being grace dispensers, dispersers of grace. Not going to spend a lot of time in the next five weeks trying to find new stories. I'm going to tell you old ones. It's simpler. My uh, wife was raised in a great church in Montreal, but it had its had its challenges in some areas, and and one of them was a sense that. If you wanted God's favor, you kept a whole bunch of rules and then God would bless you. Every one of her family members loves to sing. And her oldest sister, Joyce, was in the church choir. Uh, they also don't accept things just because somebody says it. And she showed up to choir practice wearing earrings. Guess what? Earrings 
were ungodly. If you let earrings in the church, who knows? Someday people would have nose rings. I mean, bad things happen when you let people wear earrings. And at the start of choir practice, the uh, pastor, staff pastor member, uh, looked over at Joyce and said, young lady, the presence of God and blessing of God will never rest on this choir practice with you wearing those earrings. Take them off or get out of here. And Joyce got out of there and was never in a church building again until the day she died. Friends, we (laughs) must be people whose first response, whose first response is one of grace. Paul was given that responsibility, the responsibility of passing grace down to us as a core conviction of the church of Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 2, 20 to 22. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? We love regulations. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. They have an appearance of wisdom. No earrings has an appearance of wisdom. It leads to nose rings. In promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The rules will never keep us away from sin. The rules will never keep us away from sin. The thing that makes us hate sin is this deep revelation in our heart of how much God loves us, how much God cares for us, and his undeserved favor rests upon us in spite of who we are. We're not a whole bunch of legalists. We are dispensers of grace. So what's a grace-dispensing church look like? Well, number one, becomes a hospital for sinners and not a runway for seasoned bottles. Church is not meant to be a place where we have this wonderful runway and we just get all these beautiful Christians who've become perfectly formed in Christ to walk back and forth and show off how much they're like Jesus. We are a hospital for messed up 
people. And that's why we all fit in. And that's why we all fit in. The weekend, the end of the week before we left to go to Mexico, came back and preached and hopped on a plane the next Monday morning. I went and uh, ministered at and participated in the funeral of Pastor David Fry, David Jonathan Fry. Uh, Amazing how much the Drizners came up in that funeral. I found out things about my sons I did not know about. Um, but I'm, I'm in the funeral and I'm listening and uh, he was the first, we were, I was the first guy who gave Dave an opportunity in, in pastoral ministry. Turned out to be a great, great, great pastor eventually ended up pastoring in Sylvan Lake, Alberta. And then he got to call uh, a young guy to be in ministry, never been in ministry before, and had an opportunity to mentor him. And one day that young pastor walked into his office and said, Pastor, I got bad news. One of the teenage girls in our church is pregnant. We gotta figure out what to do. And Pastor Dave said, uh, well, uh, I'm gonna go pray about it. And when God's told me what to do, I'll tell you. <laughs> hours later he came back Pastor Dave came back to this young pastor and said here's what we're going to do I'm going to uh, going to have the girl uh, confess her uh, her sin to a group of people and uh then I'm gonna teach on the grace of God. And so the group of people came together and Dave shared what had happened to the young gal and, and this young pastor's thinking, this is gonna turn out to be an absolute disaster. I just feel it in my bones. This is not how you should do this. And when he finished his message, he called the girl back and Dave was a big guy, shorter than me, but really wide. Meant to, not in bad shape, just really, he was a big guy, meant to be playing on a offensive line. And uh, after he preached, he said, and church, what we're gonna do is we're gonna love this girl and we're gonna walk with this girl. And if any of you think otherwise and are going to try to get to her, you're going to have to come through me first. You understand? Now love on her. 
That's the church. That's the church. We're not a runway for people who <laughs> have perfectly formed Christianity and beliefs. Number two, love runs so deep and wide that sin is covered. Love runs so deep and wide that sin is covered. I think it's First Peter. Uh, bring up the verse, whatever it is, chapter four and verse eight. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Church that is graceful covers sin. Church that is graceful covers sin. I read through Proverbs uh, in, uh, in San Jose and I came across this verse, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offense. We're loving people, full of grace, and where there's grace, sin is covered. Where there's grace, sin is covered. Where there's hatred, there's gossip. Where there's hatred, there's gossip. And then the third thing that a grace-dispensing church has is it's a freedom-granting community. Each person is given the freedom to studiously and prayerfully make up their own mind about the white spaces in the Bible. Do you understand what I'm saying when I say white spaces in the Bible? <laughs> Look here. What color are you seeing most prominently? White. And most of the arguments in most churches and the things that divide churches and disappoint people in churches are when people are reading between the lines. A church that is full of grace gives people the freedom to studiously and prayerfully make up their own mind about the white spaces uh, in the Bible. Uh, so we go to uh, Freedom Church. Uh, how do you say church in, Sp in Spanish? La Iglesia. Iglesia Libertad. Libertad is the church we attend, Freedom Church. Our first weekend there, they decided, they launched their English service. They decided there's a bunch of English people down there, which there are, and we're going to reach them. Uh, the first Sunday they had 60. After service, pastor said, you're preaching next week. This is English service. Need people who are good at English to preach. So I'm preaching, and I did it joyfully. Uh, and the church got fuller every single Sunday morning, 9 a.m., Canadians and Americans were showing up to worship God English in an English, singing English and hearing English sermons. But Don and I travel very lightly, and the only thing I had brought was sandals. And they weren't really dress sandals. They were walking on the beach sandals. So 
I'm, and I'm feeling a little legalistic. I'm thinking, oh God, what do I do here? All I got is sandals. What do I do here? How do you preach it? I guess I should. I wear socks with my sandals. And, I, and I'm, I'm dead serious here. I'm re- I don't want to offend anybody. I'm walking back and forth in, in our suite. Should I wear socks or don't I wear socks? What's the right thing to do? I don't want to offend the people here. And finally, I said, Donna, what should I do? I don't have any shoes that look decent. Should I wear socks? And Donna said, "Uh, did Jesus wear socks? Hmm. Suddenly, it was very simple for me. (laughs) I couldn't imagine Jesus with a pair of socks on, so I just wore my sandals. I told that story uh, in the middle of my sermon. Somehow I managed to fit it in. After the service, a lady came. She says, I'm Catholic. But I heard there's English church here. I came here. But uh, I grew up right where Chuck Smith was. Any of you go see the movie Jesus Revolution? Anyhow, big part of the movement among the hippie folks in in, the late 60s and 70s. And one of the things that made them so effective is they just accepted people the way they were. And these hippies were coming to church without socks, and most of them without shoes. And she told me that story. She said, I knew Chuck Smith, and he let people go to church without socks or shoes. The sad part is I grew up in the middle of that And in Edmonton and Calgary, there were two churches, one church in each city that grew like wildfire in the late 60s and the 70s because they let people come to church without shoes. And the rest of the churches were stagnant in the decade because God was doing something among that generation. (laughs) But we wouldn't let him in because they didn't have shoes. The church that's full of grace in white issues, issues, the white issues of, of the Bible is full of grace. It's full of grace and it prayerfully lets people make up their own mind about the white spaces in the Bible. I, uh, when I first came here, I read through the minutes of this church, got to know its history, and at one point they were calling their, they were searching for a pastor and they made a list of everything that uh, this new pastor had. And one of them, and it was written a little harder than the rest, was he could not believe in the Easter Bunny. I want to suggest to you that there are some pastors who raise families to love God with all of their heart and be people of the Spirit fully devoted to Jesus Christ who actually talked about the Easter Bunny once in a while. And there were pastors who hated the Easter Bunny whose kids are far from Jesus. 
Give people freedom, friends, to make their own decisions on these things. Galatians, got to keep moving here. I don't think I'm going to be short all month. Worship band, you're just going to have to sing quick. Galatians 1.6, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. You know, it's possible to go through church but to really be teaching a different gospel. Gospel that's not really the gospel of the scripture. Uh, Next verse in Galatians, I think it's Galatians chapter three, one and two. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit of works by by works of the law or by hearing with faith? What, What made you a Christian? Doing a bunch of works or by accepting what Jesus has done for you by faith? Which made you Christians? Come on, you foolish Galatians. Who's bewitched you? Who has switched the gospel around on you? Who has made what you think about bunny rabbits part of your salvation? Who's done that? Am I being too hard tonight? Pastor Louis can straighten you out in April. Uh, (laughs) Galatians chapter, (laughs) whatever the next one is here. Galatians chapter five, verse one. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not be submitting again to a yoke of slavery. Quickly, Romans chapter 14. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions, opinions about earrings and nose rings and Easter bunnies. One person believes he may may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Don't get all wrapped up in this stuff, friends. Verse number four, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. You're not responsible for what somebody believes about Santa Claus. You're just not responsible, friends. Romans 14, verses 5 to 7. One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Here's the key verse there. Each one should be fully convinced in his mind. A gracious church gives people the freedom to decide their own convictions on the white spaces of the Bible. The one who observes the day observes it is to honor the Lord. The one who uh, eats, eats and honor the Lord since he gave thanks to God while the one who abstains also abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. Friends, the people who are uh, ignoring and feel the Christians need to stay a thousand miles away from Easter bunnies, they're doing it as an act of honoring the Lord. You respect them for it. And those who are embracing the Easter bunny, they're doing it believing that's how they honor the Lord. Respect them for it. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? 
Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He's the one we have to give account to. Let's get before him and let's know what God would have us to do. Let's be prayerful and sincere and studious ourselves. For each one of us, verse number 12, will give an account of himself to God. Now, the worship band's trying to take over, so I guess I better quit here. Uh, first smooth stone. First smooth stone is all about dispensing grace. Dispensing grace is not optional, friends. And the future of the neighborhood church deeply depends upon us having a personal revelation of the grace of God in our own lives and us making it our first response over and over again when people disappoint and fail. We hand out grace. We're dispensers of grace. The Church of Jesus Christ does.